you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many knows we need that refreshing? Presence of the Lord. God bless you. Maybe see you for just a few moments. I got a baby to dedicate today, <clears throat> this evening to the Lord. Brother Phil, Sister Ruth, priest, to bring their little son. We'll dedicate him to the Lord. Now we're going to dedicate him a little bit different because he don't like to be touched. So I ain't going to touch him. But we're going to let Mama hold him. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the little ones to Jesus. I'm not sure he wants me closer than this right here. He's giving me the eye. Jesus, what a great honor it is, Father. Our brother and sister that you've put together their hearts and, Lord, in their union, you've given them these two fine boys. Lord, we thank you for the great gift of life. Lord, if we was billionaires today and we had just five minutes to live, what would we give to be able to buy another month of life or six months or a year? Most rich people would give everything they own if they could have another year. And yet here we stand before us tonight with this little lad, his life given to this mother and father. We pray, Lord, that you would help them. May you give them the wisdom, the strength to be able to raise him in the right way in this day. We know it's such an evil, dark, wretched time. But we assume this, Lord. You've given to us this charge, and we assume it with all of our hearts that we are more than able to raise godly, holy children in this evil, wicked day. We would like to let Satan know we are not intimidated to stop raising children because of his wickedness. For the light of God and the power of God is greater than everything that he could ever do. I pray, Lord, you'd bless little Noah. Father, may your grace be upon him. May you watch over him. Keep him, Lord. If time should tarry, that he would be able to come to that age of accountability. May his heart be sensitive towards you, Lord. Bless him. Bless his mom and dad, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure he ever took his eyes off of me. Let's stand together. Amen. Don't you love the Lord with all your heart? It's just such a privilege for us to be together. Amen. I love church. Amen. I just absolutely love church. I love, love being together with the people of God, singing, worship, prayer requests, testimonies, hearing all the things that the Lord is doing. I just, I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. We'll never get tired. We'll never get weary and never be anybody sad or Anybody impressed or anything like that? What an awesome place that we're, that we're heading to. Amen. I'm excited, aren't you? Amen. God bless you. Love you so much tonight. Thank you for...
taking your time to be able to <clears throat> come tonight, and I trust that you've not just come to be an ornamentation upon the pew, but you've come to pull on the gift of God, and we'll just see what the Lord will do. You know, I've been serving Him for a long time, as many as you have, and um, I can't say that I've ever got to a spot in my walk with God that I've ever dreaded Him, that I've dreaded going to church. Or Now, there's things I've dreaded to preach. I ain't saying that. But I'm talking about Him and His presence and being where the Word of the Lord is. I'm glad it can be that way. I'm glad it can be so, so exciting and so new that it's not something that you get like an old car and you're just tired of. You want to trade the junker in. I'll tell you one thing. You ever get Jesus right, you ain't never want to trade Him in for nothing else. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn tonight, if you would, to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I mentioned to you again that we'll be receiving an offering on Sunday. We've been talking about how to go about doing it. We've not been lifting any offerings since the COVID thing. We love Brother Jim Babb too well to try to give him about 47 different strains of COVID, so we've not been doing much offering lifting. Uh, <clears throat> but for those of you that would like to give something toward the building fund, if you want to give it to Brother Jim before service, that'll be fine. He'll be in the library there before service. Um, also, the deacons probably have them standing at the back doors at the end of the service. And instead of just passing a plate, you know, and everybody kind of touching that type of thing, you can just give as you, if you'd like on your way out. God bless you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. First thing we notice about this is it's not written to the world. It's not written to people that are not born again. People that aren't born again will never understand the prophecies of the end time. They'll never understand the coming of the Lord Jesus. So Paul addresses it, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Now, he's not telling them to go to sleep. He's not telling them to just do whatever they want to do and live because it's not, he's not telling that at all. But Paul has come to a place by the time Second Thessalonians is written that he realizes the coming of the Lord Jesus more than likely he's not going to see it. That it's going to be sometime way off. Now, you watch him when he first starts writing and he writes as if though that he believes it could be in his generation. And he thinks that no doubt there will be people that will see it right then. But as the time goes on and he sees the program of God more clearly, then he begins to write to the people with the stability. I'm glad for that. Now, if you've not listened to the tape that Brother Branham preached called Taking Sides with Jesus in 1962 in a while, it might do you good to listen to that. Because in there, Brother Branham lays out uh, the future of the apostolic view from the very beginning, and he lays out the future of the message. And he tells us what type of anticipation, expectation that we should be under. And that it's not to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and just wait for Jesus to come. If you haven't listened to it, do you good to listen to it. It's one of my favorites whenever I need to reignite my vision as far as what the future holds. Now, do we believe the Lord could come at any moment? Absolutely, I believe he could come before I even start preaching here tonight. But we wanna plan and live as if though there'd be another generation and another generation. And this is what Paul is doing to the people of that day. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. 
and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we count it an honor to be gathered together here tonight, Father, in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the saints of God. And as much as we love one another and we love to see one another and we certainly miss each other. But dear Father, this would not even be the same if we just gathered and you didn't gather with us. So Father, as much as we love to see one another, we've come here tonight for more than that. We've come to hear from you. We've come to be warned, as it were. We've come to receive alerts, alarms. We've come to take admonition. We've come to receive correction, if that's what you have in your mind. We want you to know we are here. This service is yours. It's not necessarily ours. It is for our benefit, but it is not for us to run. It is not for us to dictate how it should go. But we want this service to be entirely in your hands. We open ourselves to you. I submit myself to you tonight, Father. You see, I've studied these things that I'm going to be looking at for several weeks now, looking at them, Father, and spending hours after hours looking at them. But Lord, if there would be something that would need to be said out of the confines of what I have laying in front of me, make me sensitive, Father, to the Spirit of God. Shut my mouth to anything that would not be pleasing to you. Give me boldness and courage to speak that which is needful for the hour that we're living. For it's in the name of the living word, the Lord Jesus, that we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me go to the first seal, page 170. This is uh, paragraph 367. This is what Brother Branham identified as Satan's trinity. Now remember that Satan loves to impersonate much of what God does. He never had a church until he saw God have one. He never actually could have a throne until he saw God had one. Then he said he would exalt his throne above the stars of God, which are progeny or the Messiah's brothers. So whatever that he sees about God that he likes, he wants to take that and model that for his own purpose. And we see that Satan actually has a trinity. But it's not that there's three Satans, or there's not three dragons, or there's not three kings of Abaddon. There's only one. But he manifests himself in three different offices in the last time. Now he does that because that's the way he sees that Almighty God does. God is not three gods, but he manifests himself in three offices, and that is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So Satan chooses to reveal himself in three stages. Notice this in the first seal. Three stages. The first stage, he's called Antichrist. Second stage, he's called the false prophet. The third stage, he's called the beast. Now, all three of these will actually merge in and they will lap one over into the other. So we know then the first stage is the Antichrist. It could not be so until the New Testament. He was not called Antichrist in the Old Testament. Why? Because the threefold manifestation of God was not revealed clearly in the Old Testament. Satan could not really understand it until the New Testament personage of the Lord Jesus come into view. Then Satan had to change the way he wanted to reveal himself. 
So as he saw what Father God was doing, then Satan also changed his own appearance. So he, as Christ was made known, then what did Satan do? He took the first fold of his office in the New Testament, and that was to be called by John as an anti-Christ. Now, an anti-Christ is not anti-God. Now listen, anti-Christ is not anti-God. Anti-Christ believes in God, but stands against Christ, which is the anointed word for the hour that you're living. You see, people can believe in God with all of their hearts and yet be anti-Christ because they believe in God, they believe in grace, they believe in mercy, they believe in the cross, they believe in the resurrection, they believe in heaven, they believe in hell. You want me to keep on going? We can keep on going because they get closer and closer and closer to matching the truth, but they are anti-Christ in that they do not believe that Jesus is come in the flesh not has come, but is come. Now, anti-God, of course, is Russian and all the different ones that don't even believe in God, and they fight against the very principle of God, agnostics and so on, but that's not anti-Christ. Anti-Christ is what? <coughs> Excuse me. That is against the very principle of the living presence of Christ, but is not against much of what Christianity stands for. They believe in a church. They believe in singing. They believe in gospel songs. They believe in communion. They believe in water baptism. They believe in many, many principles that the true church believes in. But they do not believe, Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now they say, oh yeah, yeah, he, he, he was the same. And he's gonna be the same. That's Antichrist. He, the real Christ believes he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Satan starts in this first manifestation in the New Testament. Now watch him as he tempts the Lord Jesus in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4 also. And he kind of, he, he's learning as he goes. You can see that he, he actually learned Eve in the Garden of Eden. The first human being that he ever tried, that he ever tested. So he, he uses her as something to kind of bounce off the temptation. So he throws something out there and watches her reaction. And then as she reacts, then he recalibrates his tactic. And then he keeps on watching, keeps hitting, keeps hitting until he finds a weak spot. Now when he come to the Lord Jesus, he wasn't exactly sure who or what he was. So he tried him and that didn't work. Tried him here, that didn't work. Tried him here, that didn't work. But he kept on readjusting and reacclimating the trial to be able to find something that would work against him. He does you and I exactly the same way. Now, whenever he comes out to the New Testament, he changes himself from being what he was in the Old Testament, that he was manifest in the king of Tyre, which is Ezekiel chapter 28. 
Now, it was an impersonation of a satanic power that Satan was so living in the king of Tyre that God would be able to say to him prophetically, son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre and say thou wast in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Now, here this king had taken on so much of the personality of Satan that God could address this king, but he's really talking to the devil himself living in this king. But it was not antichrist, it was only antichrist in symbol. But it was a forerunning of what he would do in the last days that Satan would become incarnate in a pope which would be a false prophet. Then it would move over after the incarnation, it would move over into the power of the beast. Oh, the beast just spoke in the last few days if you've been hearing him and he said that after the epidemic that has gone around the world that we might need to consider and look at a new world order. One by which we can resolve all the problems. I wonder if he has somebody in mind that will be able to run this new order. He gathered just a week or so ago in the land of our father Abraham, in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. Many of you saw it, read about it. And he gathered there with Christians, with Muslims, and with Jews. What for? To be able to discuss and say that we are all brothers. All brothers, all Christians, all Jews, and all Muslims are all brothers, and there they gathered to the very ancient place to where Abraham was called by God. Friends, these things are not done just accidentally. They are done on purpose. And the world looks at it and think it's so awesome and so wonderful. Can't you see why? They will be swallowed up. They have rejected God's prophet, but they will accept the false prophet of Satan. That's right. And some of those who've said in message pews oh, that have backslid and turned away from this word will be some of the first ones that'll swallow it down under the power of ecumenicalism because they will lay down their standards of what they've learned about the word of God in order to compromise and accept whatever. That's exactly right. But you can see that the real people of God is coming closer and closer that we will be the most hated people that'll be left on the face of the earth because we have learned the value and the power of separation because only the elect can really see the power of separation. Now, not us separating ourselves, but us being separated by the power of the sanctified word, that we are sanctified to our groom, and by that, we refuse to compromise with the world. Is that right? Now, watch his three stages. So he's first called Antichrist. Second stage, he's called the false prophet. The third stage, he He's called the beast. Now, whenever it moves into this stage, the bride, of course, will be gone. Thank God for that. Let us look again in Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. Notice, not the number of the false prophet. 
Not the notice of the number of the Antichrist, but the number of the beast. Now, even though it has long been this number for many hundreds of years, it has been this number for many hundreds of years, but the power of the number and the name will only come to its full strength under the administration of the beast. It will never reach its full power under the Antichrist. It will never reach its full power under the administration of the false prophet. But it will come to its power under the beast. Now it shows you how that prophecy will sink or align itself with the appropriate power. And when it does, it releases something out of that prophecy that lay there for hundreds of years. Think of how many years Malachi 4 laid in the Bible until the appropriate time with the appropriate man and it released the appropriate power. Now, vicarious filiadia has been written there in the symbolism of Rome for hundreds and hundreds of years. Adam Clark, Coke, Ellicott, many of those men wrote about it in the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, and called it the Popish Church, and called Rome the mother whore. Don't think you're the only ones to hear about this. God's had his elect that's identified this thing for many hundreds of years. But yet the power of the name and the power of the administration that would usurp it in could not be in the days of Adam Clark. It could not have been in the days of John and Charles Wesley. It was reserved for the last day under the beast. Now, notice this, count the number of the beasts, for it is the number of a man. So the number of the beast is the number of a man. And his number is 603 score and six. Now we know that people have been scared to death of the number 666. I went through Wendy's drive-through not long ago and I got me some lunch. And whenever the, the, the lady totaled it up for me, I got a drink and a sandwich. And whenever I come through, it come up as being 666. And the lady, I could hear her on the thing, she said, Lord have mercy. <laughs> she said, sir, don't you want to add something else? I said, sure, give me a cookie. <laughs> now, you think what? What is it about that that scares people? And you've seen it as well as I have, that if you ever get anything that comes up to that total amount or you see the numbers, it just scares people to death. And why? Because of this number that's been read here in the Bible. And why has the power of it never enforced anything? Because the proper anointing has never struck the earth. Now, the number of the man has been on the earth for all of these years, 603 score and six. Watch this in the second seal. But when this awful deceiving spirit, all man incarnated in spirit, this doctrine spirit, notice how he terms this, this doctrine spirit, this doctrine spirit. Look, friends, sometimes you hear a pastor or an evangelist or a preacher crying out against the doctrine and you say, oh, uh, they're striking that man or that woman or that individual. No. 
We're striking that spirit that individual is under that's believing that doctrine. You see, any true servant of God is not fighting flesh with flesh, but as a shepherd, it is my responsibility. It is my place as a shepherd to cry out against false doctrine. Notice this doctrine spirit became incarnated to take the place of Christ into a man. It must be worshiped then, turned to be a worshiped like Christ. Notice in other words, up over the Vatican now, I've been right there. It's wrote vicarious filiadia, and it's wrote in Roman numerals. Now you just draw a line at the bottom of those Roman numerals, and it means instead of son of God. In other words, he's a vicar. You know what a vicar is? Well, it takes the place of something. He is the vicar instead of the son of God. Oh my. And the Bible said, let him that has the gift of wisdom, praise God, count the numbers of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 666. Now if you take vicarious filiadia and draw the line, the Roman numerals, V for five and I for one, add it up and see if you haven't got 666. Now it's been talked about, it's been believed, it's been pretty much accepted by a very great large margin of even Christians, people that are identified under Christianity. And the sad part about it is, many of them will take this mark not because they will ever become a Roman Catholic, but because they bear the image of the beast in their church. Now, they will never be the beast itself, and they would never be identified with it. Just out of curiosity, on Thursday after I preached this on Wednesday, I thought, I wonder how many preachers on YouTube are actually preaching about the mark of the beast, and how many are striking against the, uh, the Catholic Church. So I just typed in a few things, and I typed up Catholicism exposed, and I went to a, a Baptist church, and I went to a, another church, you know, here and there and there, and I found several different ones and I had to you know admire them because they were standing up there and so far YouTube hadn't hadn't pulled them off which is pretty amazing within itself but they was really blasting the Catholic Church and yet one guy listened to him maybe 10-15 minutes something like that and he was giving his reasons for doing it now he said we have a lot of Catholics in our community and you had to admire the man because while he was preaching they would be able to retrieve it and look at it just like I did and yet he said you know even though we would differ with the Catholic church, yet the Catholic church was called together in 303 and he gave, you know, he was a very intelligent man, and he was giving the different councils and synods that they were called together in 303 and 310 and then 325 and he said, now actually they were brought together and it was through them that we understand the Godhead. (laughs) Okay. So he went on to explain the Godhead and I realized after his explanation he still didn't understand the Godhead because he was taking the 325 AD version instead of the 33 AD version. Amen. So here he was blasting mama 
and still identified and even brought it into his sermon about water baptism and the titles of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, he was fighting mama with everything that he had. And I had to respect him for that element. But yet he himself was baptized into mama's own church. But here he was fighting mama. Now the Methodists and whatever more would do the same thing and they would absolutely deny that they belong to the beast. And I agree, they don't belong to the beast per se because they are in the image of the beast which makes it more deceptive. Now, notice this in Revelation 14, 9. This is when the angels are going to come and uh, the, the woes of the angels that are going to pour out the vials, or the Greek actually is the bowl, when John saw this in a vision. And it wasn't a vial and a long neck type shape, but more of a bowl. And whenever the angel of God come and poured out these bowls or vials, as the English calls it, and the third angel followed them saying, with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast. I wonder how many of us here tonight have a clue what this word worship means. Well, you're fixing to find out. Look at the meaning of this word. Oh. To kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. To kiss the hand towards one. So in other words, one has their hand stuck out like this and you bow toward them and kiss their hand. So God classifies that as worshiping the beast. Which means every one of our presidents in modern history have done so. Praise the Lord. This is a Greek word, friend. I didn't write the Greek language. This is the word that the Spirit of God moved upon John to use when it would come to worship the beast, meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to kiss the hand towards one in token of reverence, used of homage shown to men of superior rank. And yet every person that would ever walk before the Pope will have to do this or they will not go before him. So you can see why when Elijah was on the earth in this generation and that Von Bloomberg guy, whatever his name was, wanted to be able to get Elijah an interview with the Pope and Elijah said they cut his cuffs out of his trousers going in before the king and this and that and the other said, what have I got to do before, before this guy? I said, well, just bow down on one knee and kiss his hand. Nope, that's out. That's out. I'll call any man, reverend or doctor that wants to be called that, but to worship, he said, I will only worship Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. So what did Trump do? Worship. What did Obama do? Come on now, don't get quiet on me. What did Reagan do? Biden, what's all the rest of them done for years and years? They bowed right down to the false prophet. Well, hallelujah. Now, Lutheran, it's a very serious thing. It is a very serious thing. The damnation that awaits those who are marked 
with the mark of the beast. I'm not eloquent enough tonight nor educated enough to be able to express to you the torment that will be suffered and those regions of the lost for those who turn down God's truth. Notice how that John goes on and he says, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image. So you see, there will be many that would never bow down before the Pope. But by the time the beast power comes under this administration, they will be thanking God for the protection and the covering of their denominational image. Lord Jesus, the beast and his image and receive his mark, oh my, in his forehead or in his hand. Now, not so much that they're going to get a rubber stamp and stamp everybody or, you know, going to have something on their hand. Maybe will they do that? They may. But don't miss the main thing. You'll never get it in your hand or in your head. Oh, hallelujah. If you got something sealed in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Don't worry about a tattoo. Don't worry about a barcode. Don't worry about a computer chip being slipped under your arm. Make sure you're sealed by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now notice how the, the third angel here is he's pronouncing this woe. And then we go down to verse 10 and he said, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now notice the judgment that is already pronounced upon those that receive the mark as if though they've already got it. Notice the judgment that goes immediately. Now it'll be hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years from the time that John wrote this until they would actually move into it. But John goes right ahead under the spirit, the prophetic spirit of inspiration. And he said, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. You see, those who will drink of the wine of the wrath of God are the same ones who have drunk of the cup of the whore. Oh my, but we also have drunk, but we'll not drink the wrath of God. You know why? We haven't drank the cup from the whore. Where have we took our cup from? Him who gave stimulation in our cup. That's right. We're all going to be drunk on something, friend. We're going to be drunk on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're going to be so in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, or we're going to be in love with the world and drunk on the cares of the world and finally drunk with the blood of the martyrs of the saints. Notice this. They shall, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. This might seem peculiar to us, of course, because these are not terms that we would be used to in our day. But, you know, they had different qualities of wine in that day. And they had ones that was less toxic than the other and some that was more intoxicating. But one thing that they would do is that many times they would water down the wine and it was caused a mixture. Also, if they really wanted to concoct something, they would take this wine, mix it with this one, mix it with that one, mix it with something else, and they would really make it more powerful and intoxicating. But God is writing to John, through John, and telling him to say, let the people know, when my wrath is poured out, it will not be added with grace. 
There will not be mixed. Now think of this. The, the, the earth, the stage that we live in since the power of the Lord Jesus struck the earth and the blanket of the blood moved upon this planet 2,000 years ago. There has been judgment. There has been wrath. But keep in mind, it has been tempered by the mercy of the living God through the sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus. Remember when the prophet saw the earth and it was blanketed there and then the sins was coming up and hitting the Lord Jesus and he said, Lord, is that the sins of the world hitting you in the face? He said, no, that's yours. So he saw the blood of the Lord Jesus blanketing around the earth. So since for 2,000 years, actually the the wine of the wrath of God has been in admixture with the mercy of God. Why did God not allow the world to be destroyed in World War I? Because it was wrath finally ministered to or mixed together with the mercy of God. Why did the blockbusters and all the things of World War II not destroy the whole earth? It was the judgment of God against the world. That's right. But it was admixtured with enough grace to prolong the dispensation. Oh my. Why does not Russia blow us already off of the map? I'll tell you why. The grace of God. But my friend, when we move into the ministry of these three angels under the dispensation of Moses and Elijah, it will no longer be a cup that will have wrath with enough mercy in there to keep from destroying people. God said, when you drink of my wrath, it will be without one spot of grace. There will not be one drop of mercy left. It will be solid, pure, holy wrath from the throne of Almighty God. I hope you understand that God's wrath is not like man's. God's is not vindictive and God, his anger is not like man's. Very few people can get really, really angry and still keep holy about themselves. But God can be angry. God can be, oh my, the wrath of his justice pouring out of him and yet he still remains pure and holy and divine. Anger does not contaminate him the way it contaminates us. Oh, don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of angels. I dare say most of us have lost our temper one time or another and we've got upset and said things that we wish we hadn't have said, praise the Lord, and done things that we shouldn't have done. But God has never moved in such a sphere that anger would pull him away into an unholy place of anger or rage or temper. Neither will it be in the tribulation, but they have sinned away their day of grace. There is no more mercy for the just Gentiles, and this is God's prophetic way of saying it. When you drink of the wine of this cup, it will not be mixed with grace, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. So here the wine of his wrath and the cup that it is poured into is the indignation of God. Where's mercy? Where's grace? Where's love? Where's kindness? There is none. Where is the mercy of God? Oh, my friends, there will be none. Children, you don't want to be here during this time, I'm telling you. Notice, without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And notice this last phrase, in the presence of the Lamb. The Lamb... Isn't the lamb what removes our sins? 
Isn't the lamb what became the perpetuation? Don't you see it will be this very attribute of the glorified lamb of God. These sinners will be brought before him. Now we jump up into the white throne judgment when this is, is laying this time frame out. They will come before the Lamb of God, the very Lamb that bled so they could be free if they wanted to be. Oh, you say, but what if they wasn't bride? Even if they wasn't bride, they could be the whosoever will. And who will it be? It will not be an angry God, an old man sitting there that's been upset at people for thousands of years. It'll be the very attribute that they claim they loved. The very attribute that they say forgave them of their sins, the lamb. They will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. Now look, friend, what, what a great thing God has done for us in liberating us from the mark of the beast. Amen. Now I want you to notice God doesn't say that they'll do this because they drunk and because they committed adultery and you women, you've cut off your hair and I'm gonna put you in there and burn you with fire and brimstone because they took the mark of the beast. This is how serious that God looks at this. You ought to be grateful to God every day of your life. Now they drink of God's wrath. Oh, I don't want it. Won't make any difference. You're forced to drink it. Which is poured out without mixture. Sometimes it was called, of course, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 51, 17, a cup of fury and a cup of trembling. And now it will be like it has never been before. In the Old Testament, when the wrath of God was poured out, it was something to see. It will be absolutely nothing compared to the grace dispensation. I know people think everybody's gonna save, be saved. Everybody's going to heaven nearly every funeral. You hear preaching anymore, everybody's going. I mean, they're all gonna be there. I hope not, because heaven will turn right into hell within a week's time. If they're all allowed through the gates and they live the same way they live down here, I don't wanna go. Come on, friends, I don't even want to go. Just let me cease to exist. But we know it will not be such a way. But what would it be? It will be absolute. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. It will be absolute, pure wrath. Pure. Pure wrath. Just as pure as his mercy was. So his wrath coming from the same source it will be pure. No vindictiveness. No human anger mixed into it. No, no temper and rage. No, pure wrath. And justified in doing so. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Dear God, this is the allusion to Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction. Notice, he says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. You see, the lamb will be their judge and the lamb will condemn them and the angels will usher them in to their new home. No Cadillacs, no Mercedes, no BMWs, no fine homes, fire and brimstone. Pain like you have never experienced in your life. Smoke, ashes, sulfur smell. 
forever and ever. Which is anion and anion. Everlasting, age lasting. Which is a space of time plus lasting. Thank God it's not eternal. So when the Lamb pronounces their judgment, now you realize that whenever we die, death does not change us. Just simply moves us to an unseen realm beyond these elements here. So when people are raised from the dead, where they go does not change who they are. So they went down marked with the beast. They'll raise with that same imagery in their soul. So they will walk before God, the Lamb, and they will stand there in their mind thinking they are right. They were a Catholic, a Baptist, a Methodist, whatever they were, and they rejected the truth of the word, and they will still have that identity upon their soul. Their conscience, everything about them, many of them will walk before them that day and say, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We've done this and that and the other. They said, depart from me. I never even knew you. So death does not change and say, oh, 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 I've I've died now. Oh, goodness, I've died, I've died, I'm lost, I'm lost. No, no, many of them will get right up out of the grave, walk right up before the throne of God and stand there with great anticipation and expect a crown of life and a reward of eternal life. Can you imagine the disappointment? Remember Brother Ben preached that years ago in the early 50s and he called it disappointed people at the judgment. He said it won't be the prostitute, she knows she's lost. Won't be the drunk, he knows he's lost. But it'll be people that have went to church and accepted the mark of the beast. And they'll walk up before the Lord Jesus and they'll look at him. Oh Jesus, I love you. Oh Jesus, I was a Baptist. I was this and that and that. The Lord Jesus, it's so good to see you. And he will look at them with that stern look in those eyes and pronounce his judgment. You imagine as they stand there, what? No. There must be a mistake. This judge makes no mistakes. The angels will come one by one and escort them to their place of torment. The lamb, think of it children, the very same lamb that could have rendered them guiltless and said, I accept you. You are free. You are washed. You are cleansed. But instead, they accepted church. They accepted some watered-down version of what their preacher said was a new birth. Told them they could keep on drinking and keep on smoking because the pastor does. Well, he'll go to hell with you. You'll be looking for him in hell. That's right. But now, don't you see why it must be the lamb? It will not be the attribute of the invisible. It will be the very embodiment of the, oh Lord help us, the very embodiment of the Lord Jesus standing there seated on the throne, the very one they rejected his mercy. And the lamb will pronounce their judgment. Please don't misunderstand me. 
The angels will come and get them and take them to their place and cast them into the lake of fire and rejoice. You say that's cruel. It's not cruel at all. It's God's righteousness. The cruel part was them. They rejected him. They used him as a spare tire. When they got in trouble, they asked him to help them. When they couldn't, couldn't pay their bills, they asked him to help them. And then whenever he helped them, they dropped him like a hot potato. They didn't want nothing to do with him. So they will gather them out. They will gather them out. As we see the good and the bad being separated through the nets of the gospel. As Jesus gave us the parable and said that the gospel is like a net and a preacher throws it out and he hauls it in the boat and when he does, he brings it to shore. And then he begins to go through it and well, this is no good, you can't eat this and this is rotten and this is a crab and this is whatever. And he said, so will it be when the angels come and they'll be sorted out. Now the righteous will stand there, but not the bride. The righteous will stand there to judgment and the angels will sever through. And the righteous to save that came out of great tribulation will be granted life to go into life. Oh Lord. But the angels will grab this other class. Merciful God. Notice this in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for anion and anion. Space of time and space of time. Notice, not eternal. Space of time and space of time. Remember when Jonah was in the fish's belly and Jonah said he was there forever? Three days and three nights. I guarantee you one thing, if you're in a fish's gut, <laughs> three days and three nights, it feel like forever to you too. Amen. Now, forever must be placed appropriately. It's not the same word always used as eternal. Amen. So, the smoke of their torment. Dear God. Lord, children, I wish I could scare people into, into giving their heart to God. If I could do this, I'd go to Walmart in the morning, I'd be there at daylight, and I'd scream all day long, plumb in tonight, and I'd have somebody to come and relieve me, and we'd try to scare people into heaven. We'd do what we'd try to do, but that ain't the way God wants them to get there. Amen. God wants them to get there because they make their choice, and they say, I deny the devil, I deny his works, I deny his mark, I receive the Lord Jesus. Amen. And the smoke of their torment ascend us up forever and ever. And notice how John writes this in human terms. And they have no rest day nor night. Lord Jesus, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and forever. So their misery in this everlasting or age-lasting fire is an age-lasting punishment. Will they suffer? They will. Beyond human imagination. What type of a body will it be? I don't know exactly, and I don't plan on experiencing it. 
because I ain't going there. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 25, 41, and he calls it an everlasting destruction, which again is an age or a time frame. Now we know God is just, and God will not throw everybody into this place and burn for the same amount of time. Prophet even went as far as to say they might burn for millions of years. Lord God, have mercy. I'm sure that our minds will not even allow us. Some of you have already shut down on me anyway. Our minds will not even allow us to go into such a horrific place. But we see little symbols and little openings of the scripture that give us a little view of what it will be. Now, anybody here tonight that's not serving the Lord, don't get in your mind that I want to scare you in. If I can scare the liver out of you and bring you to your senses and you'll make a real wise decision from your heart, so be it. But if I scare you to God, I'll have to scare you every day of your life to live right. Notice this parallel to this in Genesis 19, 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Glory. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Now we know that there were slime pits. We read about it here when Abraham had fought against the kings of Kedolaomer and those other great five kings there. And they actually fell into the slime pits. It's not mud, as we would think mud or moss or something off of a pond, but the word is in the Hebrew, bitumen, which is tar or pitch. So this is one thing that they did. Now, of course, it's the thing we use today to make asphalt. Very flammable substance. Also, it was a place of great salt. Salt, also another chemical. So you have salt, calcium, what is it, calcium chloride? Salt, and then you have sulfur, and you have bitumen, and you have certain types of rock that when they get hot enough, begin to melt. And God, just the day before, had given a secret to his prophet's servant that he was going to destroy this place. And he interceded for Lot's salvation. Now Abraham steps out. Unless God told him, we don't have any reference that Lot and Abraham ever met again. Unless God revealed to him that he spared him, Abraham stood there wondering. Because Lot went his way and never come back to the message. You can see what he wound up whenever he left the message. So Abraham walks out there this day and no doubt he saw it was sundown in Sodom the day before. 
The balls of fire begin to fall, hitting the slime pits, the asphalt, tar, pitch, bitumen. It began to hit the salt, and explosions began to happen. One chemical mixing with another, and people screaming and running, and oh God. You imagine Abraham standing out there the night before watching it. Dear God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Lot was his adopted son, as you know. God, have mercy on him. God, don't let him, don't let him perish. Lord, children. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. So here we see now the next morning, the chemicals of tar, of salt, of some of this rock, this porous rock with this other acid that they would use to make bronze out of. <clears throat> And they all started mixing together and melting as it, as it did. These bitumen pits were exploding. People's houses catching on fire. People running and, and balls of tar exploding into the air and falling in people's hair and on their skin. And then catching on fire, running, screaming. Wonder what they thought about their gay rights then. wonder what they thought about their women marrying women and their men marrying men. I'm not eloquent enough. I, I don't think I would ever have the ability to tell you what went on in Sodom. It was unbelievable. I wonder how much they loved it now. Now the next morning, these chemicals are burning. And the word that, that Moses used to describe it was a furnace. So here are the cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, these other cities, had been transformed from cities of sin into a furnace of hell fire. When one day Los Angeles, as honeycombed as she is beneath her, will be turned into a turning, churning, belching sea of humanity. When the prophet turns and sees our great nation, the last place she appears in the prophetic vision is smoke and smoldering ash. What is it? The smoke of a furnace rises out of the Dakotas across the great plains over through the Mississippi Valley, down through the Appalachians, through the Adirondacks, to the East Coast. When one-tenth of the earth is ready to fall in, why? It will be the wrath of God without one speck of mercy. People will cry. They will pray. They will be so miserable of life that they will pray for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them, but death will flee from them. Abraham, as he stands upon this rise where he stood with God, as he looked toward the land of the plain, and behold, lo, and the smoke of the country went up 
as the smoke of a furnace. Y'all have seen a furnace, right? The inside of a furnace or a stove. And by the time you throw charcoal or wood or coal, whatever it is that you're burning, and then it transforms from this combustible thing on the outside and it changes over to ash and it changes its composition. Coal does basically the same thing, been carbon as wood is carbon also. And it changes something on the inside and there it lays and the smolders and there's where it changes from beyond the flames or the heat rather that you get out of the flames. As it changes and the combustion sets in and then it turns into this red hot looking embers as they're blowing. Now you're getting your real heat. You imagine as he looked over this place that used to be in Lot, chose this place because he said it looked like Eden or as the garden of the Lord. It was a beautiful paradise and Lot looked with his natural eye and he looked away from the message of the hour where it was hard living under Abraham's teaching. It was hard going to Uncle Abraham's church. It was hard going to Grandpa Abraham's church or whatever more. So you know how people do. They want a church where they let them do whatever they want to do. I'll tell you one thing. You not only find that in the Baptist, you can find that in the message. Oh yeah, you look hard enough, you'll find message churches that'll let you do kind of whatever you want to do and they'll make excuses for you why you can't live right I ain't going to do such a thing I love you too much I don't want you looking for me in hell I don't want you pointing your finger at me young people I may make you so mad your face turns red as blood that's all right. you'll be happy whenever we stand before the throne of God one day and you'll come running up to me shaking my hand and say brother Donnie thank you for telling us the truth thank you brother Donnie you burned my hide but at least my soul ain't burning in hell Lord have mercy and it came to pass when God, I read this today, I felt such a strange presence come upon my heart. I felt to emphasize this to you believers tonight, your sons, your daughters, your husbands, your wives, your loved ones, they may not be bride. But remember, you have a particular place before the throne of God, a petitionary power that is not given to everybody that lives on the earth. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Now can you imagine? He didn't even just live in one. He went from one to the other to the other to the other. His wife, I mean, she loved the fashion. She loved the, the, you know, the makeup and whatever more that was down there. And no doubt his daughters, you can see how fallen that his daughters were. Because his very daughters, when they got out of the city and they were saved, his daughters got him drunk and both of them lay with their own daddy. And Moab, you know that Moab and Amnon, which is the Ammonites and the Moabites, they were children of Lot by his own daughters. Is that right? Where in the world did they get that teaching? They sure didn't get it from Abraham. 
But look what happens to you and your children when you leave the message. Look what happens to you when you leave the principles of the word of God. Lord have mercy children, if you only knew of the, some of the things that's going on with some of the people that's pulled away from the message, their own lives prove to me, I don't want what they've got. Their own lives for them and the preachers and the people that's leaving it and the churches that are leaving it, you compare to what they are, compared to what we are, let them have what they want. I don't want their cities of the plains. I don't want Sodom. I don't want Gomorrah. Give me the land under the oak. Hallelujah. Give me the land under the oak. Oh, you can have all the fashions of Egypt. You can have all the honor and the favor of the world, but give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. It's the straight way. It's the hard way. It's the narrow way. It's the persecuted way, but it's his way. It's amazing because Jude, in writing about the cities of the plain that were overthrown, said they suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. Eternal fire. And yet, fire as we know it is not eternal. We're not even sure how long it was before man ever lived on the earth, before he ever even found out fire. So there's fire that is man-made, fire that man broke into to be able to cook his meals and so on. But this fire was not atomic fire. This fire was not man-made fire. It was direct from the attribute of the eternal himself. The eternal himself came down and poured out of his own self. Listen, children. Oh, Lord, aren't you glad tonight that the eternal has come down himself and, and give you a portion of fire too? Not, not like Sodom and Gomorrah, but the pillar of fire. Amen. The eternal has come down. Amen. Not just give us a little feeling. Give us a little emotion, but give us a part of himself. He either gets you now or gets you later. You either meet fire now or meet it later. Lord God, let me meet it now. Hallelujah. Notice John says they have no rest. You know, all of us have experienced pain, whether it be from surgery, whether it be from sickness, whether, whatever it will be. But yet, generally, there will be a break intervals to where we will get a break. And if not, we go to the emergency room. And then they take us in and try to find what's going on, find the source of that pain. Or you lay and you pray and you're sick and you're hurting and you finally go to sleep and sleep gives you intervals. But I want you to know in the lake of fire, no one sleeps. There are no breaks in the pain. There, there are no recesses. There's no bottled water. There's no ice. There's no cool drinks, no refrigerators. The parable that Jesus gave of the rich man said, would you please let Lazarus just go and dip his finger? He didn't even ask for a glass. If he could just dip his finger and come back. And just put it on my, on my tongue, for I am tormented 
and these flames. Oh, Lord God. Why? Because they smoke, because they drink, because... No, not just that. But because they received the mark of the beast. Do you understand? There will be Puritans. There will be holiness people. There will be people that live a good, sanctified life that receive the mark of the beast by bearing the image of their denomination. Dear Jesus, no pain we endure on earth can match suffering. No rest, no reprieve, no cooling. Remember when the prophet went there, he said a burning flame would have been a joy. That, that's hard for my mind to comprehend. Falling in this abyss and you're lost and you're turning, you're sick, you're nauseated, and you're just falling, falling, reaching, grappling for something, and there's nothing there. There's no mama there, there's no daddy there, there's no God there, and you're lost. Now this place, of course, is the final place of doom. Abaddon. The place that is now emptied into God's final stage of their annihilation. And the last one to be destroyed will be the king, Apollyon himself. He may suffer for millions of years, but eventually Satan will be destroyed. And I say, praise God. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God, I would be right down there with him. Let me close with this. And the smoke of their torment ascend us up forever, age and age. And they have no rest, day or night. Notice how John writes this in contrast. Now where you're going, there is no night. But you see, the, the, the description that he's using is still showing time. Don't you understand? Hell is not eternal. Amen. He's using time adjectives to describe where they're going. Day, night, forever and ever. It is not eternal. And again, I say, thank God, hell is not eternal. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast. Not who smoke cigarettes. Not men who wear earrings. Isn't it amazing how we look at sin and we say, oh, this, this is awful. And yet we know all kinds of people that belong to a denomination. We say, oh, they're good people. Friend, what's the matter with us? Do we believe our Bible? Do we believe that our Bible says if these people go into the tribulation period with that mark on them, they're doomed? We make them good people, nice people. There will be lots of good people, so-called, in the lake of fire. Because those good people 
have the mark of the beast. And heaven will be full of people that was not so good. But they got saved because they accepted a good Savior, a good Redeemer, and He put His seal on their soul. Heaven ain't going to be full of good people. It's full of a good Savior who saved bad people, but transformed them by His power. Let's stand together. Let me read you this in investments. Brother Bam said, you want some preacher, you women, that'll not condemn you for the way you dress and live, and somebody that'll pat you on the back and tell you that you can do this and that and the other. You can act like the world and live like the world and still maintain your confession of Christ. You're wanting those things, you voted in. You vote a godly man out of your community. To get a man like that in there, it's the desire. Listen, what else also it is? It's the spirit of the nation. It's the spirit of the last days. Want to confess and hold your confession. I'm this, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Methodist, Baptist. Let's go on and add another one to it. I'm in the message. And still hold to that and live any way you want to. Now you see, we are not free from this spirit. This spirit will try its best to come into our message. And it's already here. That we can do this and that and the other and live any way we want to. Oh, I believe God sent a prophet. You're no different than them out there that bow to the image. Because you think by believing a prophet, you've got eternal life. If that's so, the Lord Jesus died in vain on the cross. He shouldn't even come 2,000 years ago. He should have just sent Brother Branham in the last days and let everybody believe him. There's no need for the blood of the atonement or the need of the token. Come on now. Oh yes, we need the blood. We absolutely need the blood. The perpetuation for our sins is not playing a tape. It's not making a, a, you know, a trip up to Jeffersonville or coming to Happy Valley. The perpetuation for our sins is the blood of the Lord Jesus and that alone. Amen. That's right. So we, we can't say, well, I'm in the message and that means it's all right. No, it does not mean it's all right. There's one way we will be accepted and that's when we are in the Beloved. But you see, people want to live the way they want to live. They want to do what they want to do. And even when people are wrong. My, we're living in a day when message people don't even want to confess their sins. And when they do wrong, they ain't even got the gumption to go to the people they've wronged and ask them to forgive them and say they're right with God. You're not right with God. Jesus said, when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has an off against you, then you leave your gift at the altar and go make that right with your brother. I made it right with God. That ain't enough. Oh, my. Maybe I should have you be seated. We'll preach part two. Praise the Lord. My, you remember the woman who was a Sunday school teacher and had all kinds of issues and Sister Meadie, Brother Bill, this woman you wants to see you, and he breaks into a vision. Oh, I see you coming across. Oh, I, I see you. Your husband was in the war. Isn't there a man that works at a... Oh, don't you, don't you tell that. I made that right with the Lord Jesus. I, I made that right with God. He said, you never sinned against God. 
you sinned against your husband. That's right, brother. Wow. Good well, I can't help you. Brother Ma'am just walked out of the room. Media come and got him and said, Bill, she's still standing there. I said, I can't help her. Said, you can't do anything for her. So he went back in and said, go get your husband and tell him to come here. He's got the same thing to make right with you. So don't you say that about my husband. Ain't there a certain woman that works at that car place where he works that dresses a certain dress? He was with her just so many days ago. Go get him and come here. After they made their sin right with each other, not just right with God. And Brother Ben said, no wonder Brother Smith's church ain't going no farther than it is because this man was a deacon in the church. He said, I'll resign my post. He said, no, don't do it. Well, look it up. Make your sin right with God, he said. And right there, God forgive both of them and they fell each other's arms. They could have went and prayed. They could have fasted. They could have done everything they wanted to do until they made it right with each other. They was not right with God. Well, don't you love him? I thank him for the truth. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus. I know this has been unusual tonight. I felt so unusual in speaking it. You, you were speaking to someone. I pray, Lord God, make it clear to their hearts. Father, help us not to use you and then throw you in the trunk, as it were, till the next time we use you. But help us, Father, to commit all that we are, all that we have, all that we ever want to be into your care. We don't want to play church. We don't want to say, well, we, we wouldn't say we're Baptist because that would be repulsive to us. We wouldn't say, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Methodist. No, we'd never say that. But we'll say, well, I'm, I'm two soul, I'm seven thunder, I'm, I'm in the message. And that ain't no different if we don't have the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus, we don't want to say our identification is some doctrine. We want to say our identification is a person. You. You, Lord. Father, help us tonight. I pray you'd search each of us. Begin with me, if you will. If there's anyone on the earth I need to apologize to, anyone I need to make anything right to, let me know it, that I will. I give you my word. I pray, Father, you'd search every brother on this platform. Then start with the pews and go from the front to the back. Go upstairs. Go to every person streaming. May you search our hearts, Lord Jesus. I've preached a place tonight, dear God, that most of us, it frightens us. And for those who are sealed and feel like they have the Holy Ghost, it doesn't frighten them for themselves but maybe friends, family members, loved ones. So, Lord God, it's not that we believers tonight are standing here shaking in our shoes, as it were, and we're scared we're going to hell. That would be a slap in your face for a sealed believer to do such. But we have children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, people that we work with and work for. Lord, I don't know of anybody I want to see lost. Nobody. The most evil, wicked person. And I feel like I'm right in saying that because it's not even your will that any should perish. 
but all should come to repentance. God, help us, I pray. We love you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'm not sure how it'll be. Somehow or another, our minds, once we enter into those bodies, our birth family, somehow, it'll have to be changed. If we would be walking down streets of gold and thinking about a mother that didn't make it or a father or a brother or a sister of our earthly family, how could we enjoy heaven? So somehow or another, it's like we will be reborn into that family of God and we will not associate with our earthly family that did not make it. I don't know how it'll be, but it'll be perfect. I know that. The smoke of these people in this place will never enter this blessed city of God. How could we be walking down streets of gold and drinking from the fountains of the waters of life and smelling people as they burn and hear their voices as they scream? Paradise and hell, Hades has nothing in common. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We realize, Lord God, as you displayed your mercy there on the cross. We know first off, both of those thieves, they said sarcastic things against you, and then something struck the one. And he began to recognize something different about you, and then he took up for you and spoke against the other man and said, we, we're getting what we deserve. This, this man has done nothing wrong. Paradise and torment lay before them. The one thief on the cross chose torment. The other one, it seemed, was headed for torment, but just a few hours away from his destiny, Mercy walked in. Glory to God. But it was mercy hidden in a human form that was beaten so bad that it didn't even look like a man. Isaiah said, your visage was so marred. He never saw a miracle. He never heard great mysteries. We don't know what it was that struck his heart. But he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. For those simple words, praise God, you responded, this day you will be with me in paradise. From the regions of the lost to paradise. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. In just a few moments, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. You love him, saints, with all your heart. Aren't you glad he changed your destiny? He changed where it looked like you were going. In reality, you hadn't come from there and you wasn't going back there. But it sure looked like we were. But his mercy stepped into our lives. Praise be to God. Pray for your families.
pray for your loved ones that God will deal with their hearts. It might be your prayer that will spare a lot. It might be your prayer that will spare your grandson, your granddaughter, your child, your husband. He may not be bride, but it might spare them from that lake of fire. You believe it? You have that much before his presence, Esther. Recognize your place. And don't approach him with fear. Approach him as Abraham of old did. Can you imagine the boldness instilled in this man's heart that he would venture and he had no scripture. He had no scripture. That he had any right before God. No one had preceded him ever that had ever done it. Had not one place he could place his hand on the word of God and say, I've got a right to do this. But something struck his heart. And no doubt he knew his position as being a friend of God. And a friend can ask special favors of another friend that just a regular acquaintance might not feel comfortable in doing. So he didn't feel like he was infringing on the friendship of the divine. Praise God. Let's just sing a little before we go, shall we? Don't you appreciate God's grace to you, friends? If you got the seal of God on your heart tonight, even if you haven't got it yet, but you want it, you ought to be so grateful that you've not been sealed with the mark of the beast. Praise God. If I was you, I'd pray every day. Brother Donnie, I've done it. Keep right on doing it. You keep staying right there. Be like old Betty Robinson. You go there in a cornfield and say, Lord, if you don't give me the Holy Ghost, you're going to find a pile of bones here when you come back. I am not giving up till I get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it, Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you tonight, Lord. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We worship you, mighty God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that I'll never have to experience what I preached tonight. It it felt strange in preaching it. I've preached the crucifixion, Lord, and it's been so real to me. It's like I was standing there. I've preached the resurrection, and it was so real, I was standing right there at the tomb. I've preached so many things and you've allowed me. As ministers have sometimes allowed to do that. But it was strange tonight. I was preaching hell at a distance. I was preaching hell afar off. It couldn't strike my passions. It could not strike who I am. Because that ain't who I am. So I was preaching it as looking at it from afar from what I read, from what I can imagine, but not from where I'm going or from where I came from because I come from another sphere, from another place. Oh, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Can we just worship Him for just a few minutes? I know it's Wednesday. I try not to keep you too long, but I don't think it'd be right for us to dismiss not have... A little bit of fellowship with the Lord before we go. I was sinking deep in sin, far from that peaceful shore, very deeply.
stain with sin sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from waters lifted me now am I
I am bound for the promised land. Sure good to be in church tonight. And you appreciate that word. to sing this tonight as we go just remember the services this weekend i pray that this is what we can relate to i'm bound for the promised land on on jordan's stormy banks i stand and cast a Sing it as you go to 